Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. Uh, those nominated for the best performance by an actress in a supporting role are Ronnie Blakely in Nashville, <laughs> Lee Grant in Shampoo, Sylvia Miles in Farewell, My Lovely, Lily Tomlin in Nashville. Brenda Vaccaro in Jacqueline Suzanne's Once Is Not Enough. And the winner is in the envelope, Mr. Gray. And the winner is Lee Grant in Shampoo. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. I'm Kyle Brownrigg, your host, and today we're going to be talking about Lee Grant's Academy Award win in 1976 for the movie Shampoo. And today I am joined by a guest that we've had on the podcast many times, uh, Dan Dillabo. He was a writer on Schitt's Creek. And my mom said that uh, uh, Dan was uh, her favorite guest. Hi, Dan. Hi. Oh, that's so flattering. Hi, she, Kyle's mom. Yeah, she like made a point. She sent me a Facebook message and she goes, oh, I just, I just love it whenever you have that Dan on. He just, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> well, now I was feeling okay going into this and now there's pressure because I don't want to disappoint <laughs> Mrs. Brownrigg. It's, uh, oh no, you, you, you couldn't. She's obsessed. She's obsessed with this podcast. Hi mom. Um, so I have to ask because anybody listening to this podcast they know that I can't stand movies from the 1970s. There's not, they're not my faves. Uh, I, I have been kind of getting into some of them. Like I actually watched Rocky for the first time on the last episode. I loved the movie Rocky. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't understand how Talia Shire was nominated for a lead role, but love Rocky. Um, but you know, That's, I, I find just... that interesting because a lot of film people think of 70, the 70s as like the one of the best decades, if not the best decade for film. Mm -hmm. So what is it about them that you? can't deal with it's because for me um i okay i was actually I was, I was actually really thinking about this i think it's because the 70s was kind of the beginning of modern film it was a big departure from like 1960s films where everything was kind of a little cheesy let's be honest uh, and, you know, that really started with like Bonnie and Clyde with like violence in films and scripts were a lot more realistic, a lot more uh, sexually liberated. You had a lot more like feminist roles, et cetera, et cetera. And like Woody Allen, of course, uh, had like human relationship stories, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, is that because this was kind of like the beginning of those types of films and the original types of films, it's like since then, so many better versions of those ideas and those kind of archetypes have been done. So when you watch 70s movies, it's like you're seeing. And again, like I realize that this is maybe this probably offend somebody, but you see like a less than version because it was the original idea. It's sort of like saying like as an, a visual artist, it's like your first sketchbook isn't going to be your best work. So what I'm saying is like, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. So for example, 
Romeo and Juliet, uh, the ultimate classic by, by William Shakespeare. I cannot possibly watch that. I can watch Titanic because that's the format, but it's just done so much better. Do you know what I'm saying? So I find that 70s yeah, movies Yeah, fuck for me, you, Shakespeare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> old news. Hack. <laughs> James Cameron's Titanic is where it's at. Uh, it's yeah, right, I, I see what you're saying. It's, a, it's definitely like a fertile... It was a period of kind of rebirth and, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, and a lot of films that were kind of like tearing up the rule book and, and a lot of uh, the, the sort of beginning of a lot of new film movements um, in Hollywood, certainly. And um, yeah, one of the, the reasons I wanted to do this year is because I mm-hmm. uh, just uh, coincidentally, I was watching a lot of 70s movies recently. I was reading this great book uh, called Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of it by Peter Biskin. Um, basically about Hollywood in the 70s and how there was this kind of new era of sort of auteur driven films mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the directors were the stars, basically sort of modeled after, you know, what was going on with various film movements in Europe in the 60s. Uh, mm-hmm. And there were a lot of studio execs who were kind of could sense which way the wind was blowing and, and were willing to give a lot of these innovative directors free reign to do their thing. So that's when you had, you know, people like Robert Altman and Martin Scorsese and Peter Bogdanovich and uh, mm. a lot of interesting new types of, of film styles kind of coming out and, and entering the mainstream in, in Hollywood. Um, well, Peter a, lot of, a lot of hits and a lot of misses. I see where you're coming from. Well, and that, and that's exact. That's exactly it. I, I I do find that. Okay. Well, for example, I saw the movie Annie Hall. Oh, honey, I did not care for that movie at all. I did find Woody Allen extremely relatable because he's this very cynical person, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my god, it's me. Um, but you know, I, I. But then, have you seen the Turning Point with Anne Bancroft and um, um, uh, Shirley MacLaine? I have not seen it. No. I love that movie. So it's like, you know, there's like really big hits and really big misses. Like I actually, when you and I did The Godfather Part 2, I loved The Godfather Part 2 compared to The Godfather. Not that I didn't like The Godfather, but like I just, I prefer. So yeah, for me, it's it's very hit or miss with these with these movies. And this year, this year in particular, but wait, sorry. So going back, because you said that the reason why you wanted to do this was because it was more like directors and auteurs and stuff like that. So which movie in this year was the one that, that I don't know caught your interest or made you want to do this episode. Uh, well, Nashville was a big one. Robert Altman was kind of uh, one of these sort of main figures in the seventies. I, I mean, it's it's hard to think of anyone who had a better decade than mm. than Altman did in the seventies. I mean, he did you know started off with Mash and then did you know Nashville, um, uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like so many incredible films. And Hal Ashby also who directed Shampoo. He did. Um, uh, coming home, which we talked about uh, yes. last time, uh, Harold yeah. Ahmad being there. Um, yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, you know that I never understood. I always knew Harold Maud meant young boy, older woman, and I knew that's like part of like the zeitgeist. And I, I always, I never understood what that meant. But apparently, that's one of those movies. I've never seen it, but apparently, Harold Maud is one of those like one of the most underrated movies of all time. It is, yeah. It's tough to say if it's underrated. I love it. So it's one of my favorites ever, um, and I th- it is oh. definitely like a cult. I don't know how big of a hit it was at the time. Uh, it was it's certainly a little bit weird and off-putting <laughs> to a lot of people. Just the idea of it, but it's yeah. so charming and so genuinely funny, and it's an amazing Cat <laughs> Stevens soundtrack. And I think you Ooh. would really love it. 
I, I, I should check that out. I always love like flipping the scripts, especially at that time where it's sort of like older men could be with younger women. But if I don't know, a younger man was with an older woman, but then you kind of get into like Sunset Boulevard vibes. But obviously that wasn't quite the story, but like maybe for Gloria Swanson it was. But anyway, so uh, 1976 Oscars. So uh, Best Picture was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Best Actor went to Jack Nicholson. Best Actress went to Louise Fletcher. Best Supporting Actor went to George Burns for The Sunshine Boys and George Burns. I do you remember him from The Simpsons? And they said that he was Mr. Burns's brother when they were like little <laughs> boys. And then Mr. Burns as a child has a has an option of leaving with a super rich cold family or staying with their humble small town family and George Burns is the brother and then Mr. Burns obviously picks the rich family and they're like oh well it's okay we still have his younger brother George and then he's like bum 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 he's like the sun is shining bum 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 he's like trust me whenever I'm older this will be a lot funnier <laughs> that's so funny I don't remember that one that's great oh I, I'm obsessed and then best director went to um oh, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong Miklos there you go. Milos Forman yeah. for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, wonderful Czech director. Um, Czechoslovakian, I guess, at the time. Uh, yeah, this was a clean sweep for uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the few times that's ever happened. And by the way, I know it's, this is, it's interesting um, that, that you, you are not a fan of these 70s movies because I really feel like the, in terms of best picture lineups, I mean, there's possibly never been a better one ever. you got One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and Nashville. Which oh, I mean, that's Jaws like a year? yeah, Jaws was oh. this year. So I mean, that's like you know five of the all time greats, as far as I'm concerned. I think I've only seen like two of those movies. I gotta, I gotta, I have movies I gotta watch. I, I have to watch these movies. Um, okay, so let's talk about let's just let's just let's just jump right in. The one that is just fresh on my mind is the movie Nashville. We've kind of brought it up a little bit, so let's just talk about. So this is a two-time, there are two nominees in this. So you have Ronnie Black Lee, I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, and Lily Tomlin. Mm -hmm. This is um, both for Ronnie and for Lily. These are their only Academy Award nominations. Um, so if you don't know, yeah, so Nashville, um, how do I even describe what it's about? It's sort of like this story that takes place in Nashville during a re-election for president because what Nixon, I'm not sure, but anyway, yeah, it's kind uh, of a fictional, kind of vaguely demagogic presidential campaign. Yeah, a lot of these movies sort of directly or indirectly kind of riffed on the the sort of weird paranoia of the Nixon years. It's not this mm. is not an explicitly political movie, but it's certainly in the air, and yeah. uh, there is, the whole thing sort of culminates at this um, campaign rally for this uh, president presidential candidate that we don't see but we hear about um and, but it sorry oh no, no no yeah yeah yeah. and 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 yeah the whole movie takes place in nashville everybody is like either a famous singer or an aspiring singer or a terrible singer or it's like this intercut of like everyone's stories it is so well done like every like no word is wasted and i every single character had my attention i i understood every single character i what i liked was that it was a predominantly female cast um and i i just really liked that um the characters were very three-dimensional where i find a lot of these female characters in these movies especially in the movie shampoo 
are super shallow and very one dimensional and very one note where I feel like all the characters in this movie are very well written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a a huge tapestry. It's a big, big ensemble cast and we're following, I think it's something like, you know, two dozen different Um, Mm storylines. Yeah. It's a kind of movie that was really synonymous with Robert Altman. This is the kind of thing that he would do. And this is his sort of, you know, magnum opus in that regard. It's the kind of movie mm-hmm. they don't really make anymore, which is, I think is a shame. Um, but yeah, it's such a huge broad tapestry of all these um, different people from all these different walks of life kind of mm-hmm. centered around the, the country music industry, which uh, I found really fascinating as someone who has no interest in yeah, country same. Western music whatsoever. I'm like this rules. Cause it's, I think, you know, anyone who's familiar with showbiz or, or in any way can kind of, uh, this will this will resonate, um, but yeah, it's oh. it's really remarkable, and a lot of the credit is due, as you said, with the you know, really uh, fleshed out female roles. Uh, this was written by the great Joan Tewksbury, who mm-hmm. um, based a lot of this on her own life, and uh, really knocked it out of the park with the screenplay. Well, let's specifically single out Lily Tomlin here. So she in this first movie, movie. is uh, this was her really. Yeah, she was. I think she was well known for uh, for television for being on Laugh In. That was the kind of that was the thing that uh, launched her into the the sort of comedy stratosphere. But uh, yeah, this was her first movie, and so I think it was is the kind of thing where like everyone knew she was from television, but at the same time she was kind of a, a newbie. So she had that that split thing of of being a, a veteran and a and a new voice. And that at the time was very, very uncommon because um, it was a huge deal when Sally Field won an Oscar because it's like most television people at the time were seen sort of less than. But Lily Tomlin, did you know that she was actually the first um, female recipient of the Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album? Oh, that's great. Yeah. She's awesome. She, oh, she's she rules. iconic for sure. So in this movie, she's the mother of... Um, two deaf children and she's like the lead singer of like a gospel group yeah and um originally uh this role that lily tomlin is playing was created for and by louise fletcher who was the daughter of two deaf parents and lily tomlin was offered the role of nurse ratchet but she turned it really? down. So it's, yeah. So they both turned it down and then they switched. Uh, obviously, it kind of worked out for both of them in the end. Yeah. Louise Fletcher <laughs> literally won an Oscar this year. Yeah. So she's, she's, so she's doing fine. But I, I guess Lily Tomlin's story in the movie is more, mostly about her affair. Is she married? I, I, I didn't understand that. Yeah. She's married to uh, Ned Beatty, who's, he's like this kind of, you know, boorish like political booster and mm-hmm. he doesn't really have time for her. he's like you know barely interested in in raising his sons he has like no interest in trying to connect with them and so she is uh you know she, she's doing the the heavy lifting with raising the and there's a lot of really great scenes of of just very kind of quiet intimate scenes of her spending mm-hmm. time with her 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 sons and, and signing to them and um and yeah and she also has this kind of wild alternate life as a as a gospel singer um and she's very uh unhappy in her marriage uh, mm-hmm. to this kind it was of subtle loser. i yeah. think i think this was i think a lot of her story was quite subtle 
Yes, yeah, yeah. and she really does a lot with a with a little. Like she, every scene is kind of imbued with this quiet gravitas that that she does so well. Uh, and yeah, her storyline kind of culminates with her, um, yeah, cheating on her her husband with uh, Tom this, uh, Carradine with Keith Carradine, this like sexy folk singer who mm-hmm. sleeps with everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's done in a, it's presented in a way where you're like, yes, you go, girl. Like you deserve to to hook up with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that if you're a musician, because you know, I I'm a performer, but I'm not that kind of performer. Like no one's lining up to fuck a comedian because they're like, can you even afford a taxi? But like with <laughs> a musician, it's literally like that's such a panty dropper. For, at least for women, in my experience, it's just growing up. I remember girls were obsessed with guys that were in bands and they could sing and and i've always said that music is none of my business i know nothing about music <laughs> like absolutely nothing i've never understood that that whole world but music is so powerful and when she's singing when he is singing that song kind of to her at the crowded bar like oh yes like that absolutely and you're like go for it lily like it's it's so romantic and, and everything like that but I'm just going to say something probably sacrilegious. Frankly, I don't really understand how Lily Tomlin was nominated for an Oscar for this movie when uh, I'm not saying that she shouldn't have been nominated for an Oscar. I mean, she's had an incredible career in film, but I'm just saying like, like great that she has an Oscar nomination, but there were like so many other um, performances in this movie that I thought were even more interesting. Like, uh, Geraldine Chaplin, the BBC reporter was hilarious. She was so funny. And I, maybe would have swapped out Lily and put her in. I mean, you know, I'm not an Academy voter, but like, that's just kind of my opinion, but you know, subtle performance, fine. She did the best that she could with it. And and I think that she did a good job. I just, I really don't have much to say to this performance that it was just these like few and far between scenes that I um, just frankly didn't really understand how of all of these amazing performances that she was kind of singled out, but you know, maybe that's, that's just my opinion. Yeah, it's one of those things where when you have like a big ensemble cast like this, you know, the 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 narrative kind of converges on one or two people who are maybe have like a standout scene or, or just kind of, you know, their the narrative is working in their favor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like you could have easily filled this whole category with with just women from Nashville. I mean, it's such a yeah. deep bench. Yeah, Geraldine Chaplin, amazing. I think I remember reading somewhere that this um, at the Golden Globes this year most uh, this, nominated film mm-hmm. yeah it was like four out of the five slots were were just actresses from this movie which i don't think has ever happened before or since nope um, yeah it was 11 nominations for the whole movie at the golden globes and it still to this day is the most nominated golden globe film ever mm-hmm. and uh yeah you mentioned um keith garden singing the, that song to lily tomlin at the bar uh i'm easy which is i believe nominated for and won the, the oscar for best original song this year and uh, what I found very interesting is a lot of the, uh, when they were developing the film, uh, the actors had a lot of say into their own characters and their own storylines. And mm-hmm. they also crucially wrote their own songs. Uh, yeah. So Keith Carradine wrote that song. And I think this is maybe one of the reasons that this movie was not, it was basically, it was very well received uh, elsewhere, but not in Nashville. Like actual country Western people were not super into it at the time. And it was, it was something to do with the idea of like a bunch of Hollywood liberals coming in and, you know, using their own music and like not consulting us, that kind of vibe right. that maybe rubbed them the wrong way. But um, as someone yeah. who uh, d- has no familiarity with country music, I'm like, sounds great to me. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it, I know exactly what you're saying. And and um, 
but you're right though. That's that, that's true, and I'm, I'm glad that you said that because uh, they did write all of their own music and perform all of their own music. So there's no lip syncing for your life or anything like that, which I think is very interesting. And like you're saying that the script, I think, was supposed to be more of a guide, and a lot of it was actually um, improvised. And I think that Lily Tomlin would very much um, shine in that kind of area. But really, I, I think it was when she was kind of like in bed with that guy, Tom. And, um, you know, I guess because I know that she's gay. I'm like, good for you, girl, for making that look real. <laughs> like, you know, I And so I don't know. I, I just... I don't know. Good good for you, Lily Tomlin. I love you, Lily Tomlin. I'm glad that you have an Academy Award nomination. Frankly, I'm not really sure I understand it for this movie specifically, but um, if you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance specifically, we can talk about Ronnie Blackley. Let's do it. This is also her first movie, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Well, that's this is... Uh, she was great. She was really, really great in this movie. So she kind of plays that famous country singer. Her character was based on Loretta Lynn. And whenever she shows up, you know, she has like a heat stroke. So she passes out, got to go to the hospital. And then she gets someone else to sing for her at this like concert. And then she has kind of a mental breakdown. She was kind of almost like the main character of the movie. Obviously, there were no main characters. But if there was like she was kind of the main character because everything like the ultimate climax of the movie involved her because spoiler (laughs) alert, she gets shot. Uh, I don't know if she dies, but I would, I was not expecting that by the way. I was like, Oh shit. Like this got fucking real. Um, Oh, also hi, Shelly Duvall. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> she just, you know, she was like in every single, she was like the cute little, uh, the groupie. groupie girl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I kind of forget how famous Shelly Duvall used to be. Yeah. I mean, in the seventies, yeah, she was in a bunch of these open movies and, and yeah, I mean, the shine, she was, uh, a, a huge deal and she's great yeah it's unfortunate what happened to her poor girl but yeah um so ronnie blackley again i apologize if i'm pronouncing that wrong um is this person that clearly has mental health issues but it's the 70s so they're like are you gonna have a breakdown um (laughs) i don't know if it was like an anxiety thing or like a depression thing or maybe just kind of a combination of all of it or she was just exhausted mentally i'm not really sure what it was but obviously there was some kind of a mental thing going on there it's very hot. Everybody's getting heat stroke all the time. Yeah, that's right. Ten- Tennessee. I've I've never been to Tennessee, but yeah, I would I would assume it's it's quite quite hot. Um, sh- but yeah, she great singer. Um, I liked whenever. I think for me, her Oscar moment was when she was in the hospital and she's pissed off that another person is kind of singing her, during her gig, and then uh, the singer on the radio dedicates the song to Ronnie, and she gets really mad at her husband manager and then they're kind of fighting and she breaks down and stuff. She's a very vulnerable kind of sad character to watch. And I think she played it very, very well. Yeah. She's really great. She, she really nails that sort of, like you said, Loretta Lynn uh, country mm-hmm. bell. Um, it is kind of a very like aloof character by design. So I, I, you know, you don't quite get a, a window into her, uh, real life, at least initially. Um, mm-hmm. there, I, I would say that uh, the the Oscar scene in my mind is there's a very funny moment when she's uh, she like kind of returns to the stage to perform, and uh, and she keeps getting sidetracked trying to start the song. <laughs> she's like about yes. to start singing, and then she's like, you know, this reminded me of uh, so and so, like uh, two or three. And eventually, the band is just behind her, getting more and more frustrated as she, she yeah. kind of rambles. Um, yeah, it's a very strong. 
uh, comedic scene. Uh, it, but yeah, she yeah, was she, a yeah. she was like a, a, a singer songwriter uh, who with no acting experience. Who I think she was brought on to just to write songs for the movie, and then was kind of cast in the movie almost last minute. Really? Oh, I didn't realize that she was a singer songwriter. I thought that she was just this like new face. Yeah, well, I guess she was because I I think she made more movies after this. But um, yeah, she was um, apparently not super well liked on set. Uh, she was constantly uh, like rewriting her own scenes and kind of um, <laughs> you know, being a bit of a, a nuisance to her co-stars. Uh, this is, you know, this is gossip and, and hearsay. So I, I, I don't know how much of it is true, but. Uh, oh, it probably that's... is. I feel like all actors are insufferable, but whenever it's a woman, it's unforgivable. But whenever <laughs> it's a man, it's totally fine. Warren Beatty. Right. Because uh, he's a genius. <laughs> He's a genius. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think that you're right. Her, It was funny whenever she's kind of rambling. She's about to start her song. And she's like, oh, I think there's a storm coming. Oh, you know, I, I love I love munchkins and, and I, I love chickens. And then she starts like clucking like a chicken. And you're like, what? <laughs> but like you're witnessing a train wreck. You're witnessing a mental breakdown. And then she gets like booed on stage. Do you remember that poor girl that couldn't sing? And then they made her like strip. Yeah. That was so humiliating. I'm like, oh, God. Nominate her for an Oscar just for that <laughs> sad scene. Like. Um, yeah, real, really funny, but also like very kind of sad window into, you know, how, how hard it is to be vulnerable when you are, when you attain this level of fame where like, if you try and just be real and kind of, you know, express yourself emotionally, you get booed (laughs) off the stage. I mean, it is a very, uh, very bittersweet scene to watch. I think that the entire movie, and this is sort of because you sort of said like, you know, you don't understand her origin. You don't know why she is acting that kind of way. It's this kind of story where it's like you just have to accept everyone and everything that's going on for what it is and just to be like, okay, like, I'm just going to sit down and I'm in for the ride and I'm not going to question why they're acting like this. They're just sort of like this. And like you said before, you're right. They don't really make movies like this anymore where it's like um, this giant, like kind of shortcuts, like with all these supporting characters and everyone has all these different stories. I thought, I think that they tried to do it a while ago and it was this movie called like 45 or something. And every actor, it was like directed by Elizabeth Banks and it was like every actor that you've ever heard of in your life was like in it. And it was like nominated for like every Razzie award. So yeah, like this movie Nashville is, is um, a clear demonstration of how, um, those types of stories and those types of movies can work really, really well because um, I, this is a two hour and 40 minute movie. It's from the 1970s and it's also about people from the South and it's about country music. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It had my attention. So yeah, it it was great. And Ronnie did really, really great as a singer. Great performer. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Okay. So let's talk about, um, I, I, I need to say, oh, you know what, whatever, let's just jump right into once is not enough, AKA in this case, once is plenty. Oh, this movie. Uh, so Brenda Vaccaro was nominated for this movie. Um, if anybody, if any gay is listening, if you don't know who Brenda Vaccaro is, uh, she played Angela on the Golden Girls who AKA was, uh, Dorothy's brother's uh dorothy's brother phil whenever he dies angela is the wife that 
uh, Sophia hates because um, the dowry check bounced. So this is that's who Brenda <laughs> Vaccaro is. Because the because well, when I was watching the movie, I'm like, God, this woman looks so familiar. Um, if you've never seen the movie, Once is Not Enough. It, it is basically every like pedophile's wet dream or incest wet dream or this movie is so troubling to watch and confusing and um really um kind of gross i got a lot of gross vibes from this movie um so once is not enough uh this is gonna be one of the worst movies to ever be nominated (laughs) for an academy award it's so weird but in a way that where it kind of wraps around and becomes incredible. Like, I, I really think that given the right circumstances, this movie could, you know, reemerge as like a camp classic because it is so <laughs> bananas. Well, uh, I think I'm that Brenda Vaccaro was the only watchable part of this movie. Yeah, because she kind of, you know, she's she knows what kind of movie she's in. And I think like when you watch this kind of, you know, melodrama <laughs> You, you cannot you can kind of tell you know, some of these actors are tr- really trying hard and really sweating to make it work and some of them are doing it with a, a bit of a wink and a nod to the audience and i think that's mm-hmm. where that's where she's at um i'm gonna be honest i i watched this in like 10 minute chunks over the course of a week oh, just yeah. like <laughs> while i was eating my lunch i just throw on a bit of once is not yeah. enough mm-hmm. and it felt like what it what i imagine it feels like to be really invested in a weekly, a, a daily soap opera, like where you just clock in every, yes! every 10 minute chunk is just so full of like affairs and secret trysts. And there are new yes. people coming in and new scandals that I was like, <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to watch my stories again today. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote the exact same thing. I wrote in brackets, daytime TV mess. This okay, so 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 just just before we continue, though, anybody that is listening and you're, you're wondering what the heck we're talking about, so the movie you should is try and about, explain what it's about. We should, yeah, we so, should definitely yeah. attempt to. So this movie is about um, a young girl whose father is a famous movie director, and he's incredibly wealthy, and she gets into a motorcycle Kurt accident. Is the yes. oh, yeah. producer? He is yeah. really slumming it. Yeah, it's really summing it in this one. And the daughter, she gets into a motorcycle accident. She loses all of her motor skills. Ha ha, wink, wink. And then I guess she spends all this time in Switzerland recovering, doing physio. And when she returns home, she has this like really, really weird like attraction to her father that she's not even subtle about. And I wrote down in quotes, when she meets her father at the airport after coming back from her recovery, she goes... I hope nobody thinks that I'm your daughter. I hope that they think you're a dirty old man and I'm your broad. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? And then they leave the airport. And then he goes, what? Kirk Douglas was like, what happened to daddy? And then she's like, you're too gorgeous to be called daddy. You are gorgeous, you know. And so there's this weird, like, daughter clearly flirting with her father, like, narrative that is extremely uncomfortable and then you kind of think oh like maybe that was it and it was just like a because you know in the 1970s everything was like really gross about families like on game shows again like price is right or something like that like if there was a young child he'd always be like have you got a kiss for me sweetheart like just things like that where you're like ugh. but it was the 70s so you're like oh like maybe that was just that one-off oh no 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 the whole movie basically becomes about 
her dating men that remind her of her father and look like her father. And then in the end, when everybody dies, she has this <laughs> weird parallel. Like it's like this visual parallel of her like fucking this older guy that looks like her dad in the shower. And then it intercuts to her hugging her father. So clearly they're not even being subtle about it. It's sort of like an incesty implied story. Or maybe I'm completely wrong, but that's that's what I understood what was going on. <laughs> yeah, it is there's a lot going on in here. Um but that that sort of the daddy uh thing is really the the kind of unifying theme. Um and yeah, so she she ends up with this um uh Pulitzer Prize winning author who worked with her father and, and is sort of a substitute father figure. And, uh, and she starts uh, seeing him. And then meanwhile, <laughs> Kirk Douglas is, is married to this wealthy socialite, but it's like oh, a, yeah. it's like a marriage of convenience and she is cheating on him. She's having like a torrid lesbian affair. Uh, and there oh, are with so Melina Mercury, Melina Mercury, yeah. by the way, from Never on Sunday, like woke. Okay, there are so many threads that just kind of get such short shrift. Like this movie just throws a dozen balls into the air and then catches none of them. I know it is so. That's sweaty. what I wrote for Mel- uh, for Melina Mercury. I, I for Mercury, I wrote okay. She plays lesbian lover for no reason. Is what she shows up. She has her scene, and you're like, oh, okay. So now there's going to be this torrid lesbian affair, and then it's done. That's it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. This is so. This is uh. It's based on a novel by Jacqueline Suzanne, who I'd never heard of. She wrote uh, Valley of the Dolls, which uh, was mm. a big hit in the '60s. And uh, I guess she was such a big name at the time that the movie was literally marketed as Jacqueline Suzanne's Once Is Not Enough, which is pretty. So she was the selling point here, which is very interesting. Like even even, you know, Stephen King doesn't get that kind of above the title billing. So this is clearly this is the kind of thing that she wrote and and, and people loved. Well, if that is the case i think they probably did that to make it seem like oh she did valley of the dolls so you're gonna love this but they actually knew they're like this is a complete turd but we'll just throw her name on it to get people (laughs) in the seats the reviews that i read for this movie were basically like you know sometimes this is an example where like you can't capture the magic from the book apparently the book is was very well liked and people really enjoyed the book but um just going back to, okay, we, we actually, we will eventually get to Brenda Vaccaro, I swear. But, but this movie was just so upsetting. I, I I just, I have to get through all of this because I wrote so many things that she, the daughter and, and, and Kirk D- Douglas, they literally went on candlelit dates with champagne and the house like that they lived in and like uh, it's right next to Central Park or whatever in New York. Pretty sure that was the same fucking hotel room from Pretty Woman, just to sort of give you context of like what was going on there. It Everything was heavily sexualized. It was very like, oh, I wish I could date you, but I'm your father. And um, whenever she finds out that her father is married to this super rich woman, she's apparently like the fifth richest woman in the world when the daughter finds out that the 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 father is is married she doesn't act upset because like her own mother is being replaced she's upset because it's like she was like a jealous lover she's like upset that like he didn't marry her it and and i found that really 
gross and really just sort of upsetting. And like, anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that, you know, at the, at the time might have been considered like very scandalous and, and subversive in an interesting way. And now to us in, in Year of Our Lord 2021 just kind of comes off as gross. Yeah, like, okay, so Brenda Vaccaro is the only reason really to watch this movie because she's kind of like what I would imagine if Kim Cattrall got like cast in sex in the city, but it's like the 1970s, you know, <laughs> cause Kim Cattrall and sex in the city. She's like a PR person, I think, or she works for some kind of, I, I've never really seen sex in, or I've seen like two episodes and it's always the same too. But like, um, uh, you know, she's uh, Brenda Vaccaro's character. She works for a magazine she's super sex positive she kind of just owns who she is she has no shame she's very she's this this big ball of energy and she's so supportive of the daughter um, what's the daughter named january january yeah she's she's january's friend from school i i guess even though she's 10 years older than her that's not really explained well, it's funny though because what this movie was super confusing and yet all this movie was was exposition. The entire mm-hmm. film was over. It was like, "Oh my god, we get it. Like we I understand who you are and what's going on right now." Like Yeah, it, there's no time for plot when you're just constantly introducing new things every 5 minutes. Yes. yes. Um I so as a as an intro to <laughs> uh Brenda Vaccaro's character, I I recommend everyone look up the poster for this movie cuz it's so uh, Have you seen it? No. It's, so what it I'm, is, is I'm looking, looking at it now. now. It's like, uh, so it, what appears to be um, uh, Kirk Douglas and his his wife kind of nude, like kneeling, locked in an embrace, like junk to junk. And this kind of very soft lighting. Oh, uh, with the Vaseline. The tag, yeah. It, and the yes. tagline is, uh, they fly first class. They eat in the most elegant restaurants. They make deals that will astound you. They make love that will shock you. Uh, so it's oh. that kind of vibe. And then around <laughs> it, we've got all these little mini character description. It's a very busy poster. I mean, this is just a graphic designer's nightmare. It but, is. Brenda <laughs> uh, Vaccaro's character, it says, uh, the magazine editor, silicone in her chest, ice water in her veins, a high fashion editor with low desires. <laughs> She's pretty good. <laughs> what does that mean? Load like like filthy? Just like... horny. She's just horny. Mm. That is the sort of animating theme of her character is that she is uh, very horny. Uh, she tries to give January a, a sex shot at one point to make her hornier. Uh, <laughs> it's so, yeah, she's, it, it's a very weird mission because she establishes at one point that she is 28 uh, and she yes. loves, she's addicted Which is code to plastic for 40. surgery. <laughs> and she's like, she's, I'm getting old. I got to stay young so I can, so I can have rampant sex with all these men. I think you're 28. You're, you're fine. You don't you're have fine. to worry about that. Um, but yeah, she's, I, the thing I enjoy about it is like, she is a standout character because it feels like she's almost out of another movie. Weirdly. Like she has this Agreed. kind of insane mm-hmm. screwball energy, like a sort of mm-hmm. Rosalind Russell and his girl Friday kind of thing where she's always like fast talking and like answering the phone and being like, Oh, Bruce, you're a shithead, but I love you. And that kind of thing. (laughs) 
No, it was, don't you remember the opening line of the movie from Kirk Douglas? He's like, tell them to go screw themselves and then accept the offer. <laughs> it's like lines like that. Yeah. yeah incredible. I, what did, I wrote down, uh, he had 10 fingers like a mouth and a mouth like 10 fingers. <laughs> Which I've thought about it for a long time and I can't figure out what it means, but it's, <laughs> I think it's, that's most of this movie are not supposed to think about it too much. Yeah, it's not that deep. But I, I think Brenda Vaccaro's um, moment that I, I loved, it was whatever at the very end, whenever she gets fired by her boss after he sleeps with her and she's like in the stairwell of her building, she's like, he's the like the laziest, like worst lay I've ever had. And she just kind of like, seemed like the only character with a story worth watching. Mm-hmm. She's very sex positive and she has this huge personality and she kind of made me laugh, but she also like, um, if somebody like did her wrong, she'd stand up for herself. And she was always trying to like help January, you know, the like gross incest girl. And she was literally just like, she was just kind of like fun. Like she was just, she, and like, it, I think you put it perfectly. It was like, she was in her own movie and she just was acting and in, in a, in a very modern kind of way. And, and it, it felt kind of familiar to me. And that's why I'm saying it, it kind of reminded me of like sex in the city or something. Cause it just seemed like a very modern sex positive sort of feminist role. And, and I, I loved her. I loved her her in mm-hmm. this movie but i hated this movie but i will say it is you're right kind of like in terms of camp quality kind of hilarious to watch yeah she is absolutely a, a bright spot in what is otherwise uh unwatchable dreck um <laughs> yeah this is uh i this is i will how i will sum up my feelings uh, to her is at one point she says something quippy and then it cuts to january and she just says I always thought you were wonderful. You have a great personality, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) Such a weird, bizarrely inept line of dialogue that I kind of love. Like it's clunky, you're saying? Incredibly clunky, incredibly sweaty. Um, (laughs) There are so many, I wrote down a few, again, I can't recommend enough that people watch this bizarre, there are so many weird, just uh, inexplicable (laughs) directorial choices that I, I don't know if it would make sense for me to explain them out of context, but a few mm-hmm. that I really love were, uh, do you remember the motorcycle crash at the very beginning? With the dummy hitting the Where wall. The dummy hitting the wall is one of the best uh, <laughs> unintentionally hilarious uh, accidents I have ever yeah. seen in a movie. And that was then, my first note that I wrote. I was like, LOL. <laughs> dummy hitting the wall. And then yeah. the other one is at the end of the film where she's kind of her, her, uh, January's relationship with this grizzled old author is kind of falling apart and she goes to meet him at a bar mm-hmm. and there she's kind of walking through the crowd and you hear the kind of rabble 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 like crowd noise all around her mm-hmm. and for some reason it's just punctuated by different people saying oh, can I get a cheeseburger? Yeah, you want right. a cheeseburger? <laughs> yeah I'll have a cheeseburger three <laughs> times three times you hear oh, no can I have a cheeseburger? Which is so <laughs> that I could detect, which I, I totally sympathize with the board sound director who was just like, just, I just want to go home and see my family. Just plug in the cheeseburger <laughs> line again. So yeah, you know what, then, then, then maybe once is not enough is a movie that we should recommend to people just in terms of a joke, silly watch then. 
I, I definitely agree. I think, uh, you know, given the right circumstances, you know, post COVID, if we're looking for a new sort of crazy, the room type, like midnight movie that sucks, I think this might be it. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about, uh, Sylvia, Sylvia Miles <clears throat> in Farewell, My Lovely. So Sylvia Miles and, um, uh, Sylvia Miles and Brenda Vaccaro were actually both in uh, Midnight Cowboy and were both nominated for uh, Golden Globes for that movie. Sylvia Miles is in Feral, My Lovely, for eight minutes, um, which in the 70s was time for an Academy Award nomination. But as Ned Beatty always said from Network, he said, never turn down work. I worked one day on Network and I got an Oscar nomination out of it. Um, also, this is not uncommon for somebody doing such a short performance and getting nominated or even winning, a.k.a. Beatrice Strait for Network, literally performing for five minutes. Uh, so this was not uncommon during this time. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, okay, well, anyway, Farewell, Farewell My Lovely is uh, an incredible sort of whodunit sort of mystery where you have a private investigator um, and he is looking for this girl what was her name velma yeah yeah yeah. he's looking he's hired to locate the the uh, girlfriend of this you know ex-con <laughs> ex-con yeah who's gone missing and it's uh yeah very like uh classical sort of noir story uh it's based on uh raymond chandler novel um he wrote a bunch of novels about this this uh private detective philip marlowe um, and there were a bunch yes. of movies based on it. This was kind of like a, you know, a James Bond-esque type franchise. Like there were a whole mm-hmm. bunch of these movies I loved with it. different yeah. actors playing the role. And a lot of our, our sort of stereotypes and conceptions that we have of the film noir genre really came from these stories. Like the sort of mm-hmm. grizzled PI and the first person narration that's full of quips and like the, you know, femme fatale, all this kind of stuff, you know, originated with these these Raymond Chandler stories. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, this one is uh, Robert Mitchum, the great Robert Mitchum, mm-hmm. playing the role um, as sort of a, you know, older, weather-worn guy. And he's so good. Mm-hmm. He was he was way older than the character in the in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 55 when he did this movie. And I think that the character was supposed to be like in his early to mid 30s. But Robert Mitchum was incredible in this movie. It had such like Casablanca vibes. I realized that. Obviously, those are two very different movies, but I'm just saying that sort of slow confidence. Um, I, 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 I really loved um, this movie. Sylvia Miles in this movie was kind of a somebody that knew Velma, and she is this old, tired actress, and she's no longer working, and she's at home all the time. She is drunk all the time. And honey, it was like looking in a mirror. I was like, Bitch, I know exactly, I know exactly where this where this woman is coming from because it's like when you're a performer, you have so much time on your hands when you're not performing or you're not getting ready for your next gig or work or something like that. And um, so you you drink because frankly, they're so you're so bored that you're like, I'm just I'm just I'm gonna fucking drink. She answers the door. I'm going to say this for this. Well, then we need to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I need to do something uh, to fill the hours. What else could there possibly be? Yeah, there's going to, yeah. Uh, but I, but I, I will say that Sylvia Miles, she, very brief performance. Um, it was kind of an in and out performance, but 
she had very good presence. Um, I, I, I really liked her character. Um, I am a little surprised she was nominated for an Oscar, but you know, I got her character. I related to her character, even though it was quite brief. And she seemed to be that like broke, tired actress who was an alcoholic. Uh, anyway, she gets killed and then you just kind of don't really see her anymore. Yeah, she's a very sort of uh, hilarious, boozy broad. Uh, just kind of shows up for, yeah, like one or two scenes uh, and dispenses some, uh, some exposition that moves the the plot along. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is a little bit mystifying, not to, you know, cast aspersions on her performance, which is very good, but it is kind of a, a, a bit mystifying that she got an Oscar nomination. I think that probably <laughs> says something about, I'm sure you found this with, with older movies, especially where there, you know, uh, there were not Most that many women. meaty roles yeah. for for women um like you know these were oh, movies yeah. made by and about men and there would be like one female lead and not very many like juicy supporting roles mm-hmm. so that's you know that that leads to you know people getting oscar nominations for you know what is essentially like the guy in an episode of law and order who they go to talk to and he's just like loading crates out of a van. Yes. He's like, I didn't see nothing. <laughs> like if that guy got a nomination, you'd be like, what? That is Perfect. That is the perfect way to describe it because I talk about this all the time on my podcast. Uh, uh, like, because people go, Oh, we, with your podcast, you know, how far back in, in history do you go? And I say, If it's a lead role, I'm willing to go all the way back to like uh, uh, Greta Garbo in like the 20s. But if we're talking about like supporting roles, frankly, uh, I'm, I'm not that crazy about going um, earlier than. I would even say like 1970, 1965, because these movies, it was like a five minute performance in a three hour movie because the roles for women just weren't there yet. And I find that um, when you look at Talia Shire being nominated for Rocky and she had maybe like 10 minutes in the movie, you're like lead role. Like, what are you talking about? But at the time it was just sort of like, the industry was run by men, decided by men, everything was for men. And so I feel like a lot of women were often celebrated for just being like overly sexual one note people, because I feel like during this time in history, that's how a lot of people viewed women in the media. So when you go back farther in history, it's almost kind of insulting to to women. And we're going to get we'll get into shampoo. But literally, <laughs> like, I mean, but just talking about Sylvia Miles in this movie, um, she had a brief little scene, brief little performance. If you have not seen Farewell, My Lovely, it is a fantastic movie. I loved every single uh, minute of it. There's a scene where like the they, they see this like headmistress of a brothel and she looks like every evil lunch lady in every cartoon. And yeah. I loved it. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, the giant mansion that they were filming that scene in, that, that brothel, uh, was Harold Lloyd's estate. And they also filmed uh, the movie Shampoo there. So there's a lot of... Uh, incestuous uh filming going on in these big year for uh for that house for that house um yeah that's uh, unless... by the way the guy that uh murders the the brothel owner did you recognize him the guy that murders sylvester stallone in one of his early yeah 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 of movie this one that was he his was the, that, the this John. was the movie that he did before rocky before his we talk movie. about a meteoric rise also to go from like just playing a, a john <laughs> in a brothel who has no lines one year to like literally the next year starring in rocky Yes, I mean, big big turnaround for him. Um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of great like deep bench of actors in this one as well. Like um, 
yeah, Charlotte Rampling is the is the sort of femme fatale. Uh, yeah. Harry Dean Stanton, great character actor, is is one of the detectives. It really is. It's fun to see so many familiar faces in in older movies. Charlotte Rampling was in a fantastic series on Netflix. Um, it's called London Spy. Okay. It is so dark. It is super dark. It's like this spy drama, and I I don't even want to give any details away because it's it's worth the watch. But it's like it's super fucked up. It's 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 like this guy like falls in love with a spy, but then like it his his cover gets compromised. It's it's so good. Anyway, Charlotte Rampling is in that movie. I would recommend giving that a watch. It's on Netflix. Um, let's talk about. Uh, our winner, Lee Grant in Shampoo. Unless there's oh, something else. I have a few more things about Sylvia Miles, actually. Yes, please, please, please. please. Yes. She, I think she's a very interesting character. She was like a, a you know, very uh, popular sort of uh, high society figure in the New York scene. Uh, the joke really? about her at the time was um, uh, Sylvia Miles and Andy Warhol would attend the opening of an envelope, uh, which is pretty good, <laughs> just because they were at, um, oh, they were at everything. Um, and yeah, she, um, she was a, a sort of, she did a lot of uh, one woman shows in the New York theater scene. Uh, she was a very public presence. Apparently at one point she, uh, she dumped a plate of food on the lap of critic John Simons, uh, because he had written a bad review about her show. Love it. <laughs> um, yeah. And she apparently was uh, kind of pigeonholed as, as prostitutes. And she kind of, uh, later in her career, she kind of bemoaned the fact that she was always playing prostitute which is uh too bad and um you know uh she's very talented and and probably deserve better um but yeah the a lot thing... of women did yeah Sorry. like a lot of women did because they were yeah. either like adulterers or prostitutes or wives and that was the only thing that they could be in these old in these in, in old cinema in general i mean mm-hmm. um she was nominated by the way for um an oscar for uh midnight cowboy yeah, great movie. Very I love that performance movie. in that one as well. All right. Uh, uh, okay, so let's talk about <laughs> Lee Grant in Shampoo. So this was Lee Grant's fourth nomination. She had, pre- she had previously been nominated in 1952 for The Detective Story, in 1971 for The Landlord, and in 1977 for Voyage of the Damned. I'm just going to say it right now. I have a very strong feeling that she won because I think this was a career Oscar. I think that they were like, it's her time. I think that she has earned it Um, because the movie shampoo is about Warren Beatty and his hair. So, Mm -hmm. and he is just a Don Juan who just has sex with everyone in Beverly Hills. That is everything. And the, the device of the movie, the movie is supposed to be that, because of course this was a different time. I, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm actually not going to spend any time talking about the extremely problematic homophobic themes of this movie. I'm not even going to get into that because I, I frankly I just find it exhausting and I don't want to get a nosebleed. But I will just say that um, this movie was based on a script from like literally like 1675, like way back in history, <laughs> where there was a man who was uh, believed to be impotent. So he was trusted around everyone's wives and then he was actually sleeping with everybody's wives. So then um, Warren Beatty, since like the 60s, was like fighting to get this movie made. And basically the, the, the device in this movie is that he is a straight man who is a hairdresser. So men trust 
him around their women or their wives or their girlfriends because he's obviously a fairy or a faggot, as Carrie Fisher in her movie debut says about a hundred times. Um, I did enjoy that Warren Beatty didn't never reacted negatively to being called a faggot. I thought that that was probably very groundbreaking for the time and probably very, they probably just saw that as like, wow, he doesn't hate faggots. Um, and, uh, when I say Warren Beatty and his hair, I mean, Warren Beatty's hair in this movie, it was like a helmet. It was like this big animal on his head that every scene it just kept getting bigger and bigger and like it was just these teased bangs like just explosion of 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 hair and well they say you shouldn't judge your your hairdresser on their own hair because they don't cut their own hair somebody else does oh this is yes that's very very true i never thought of it like that um but basically uh you have an incredible cast of actors that frankly i think that um the way that the women were written and were treated were frankly kind of embarrassing specifically to Julie Christie, who she didn't even want to do this movie. And she was doing it as a favor to Warren Beatty because they were together. But apparently Warren Beatty was sleeping with Goldie Hawn the whole time um, during the filming of this. And Lee Grant wrote that in her autobiography in like, you know, 2000, whatever. And she basically was like, everyone knew that they were fucking. Um, Art imitating life. Very exciting. Lee Grant in this movie is one of Warren Beatty's clients and she believes in Warren Beatty who is wants to open his own hairdressing business. So she says Lee Grant, who also is sleeping with Warren Beatty, of course, uh, she says to her husband, you know, like I got this guy and you should lend him money and he can start his business and you should invest in him and blah, blah, blah. And um, basically it's just an hour and 40 minutes of girls who seemed, in my opinion, so one note and shallow, like they had a lobotomy, but they're, they're the only thing that they could communicate with was like their, their pussies. Like they were just like, can we fuck now? Or can we fuck later? Warren Beatty? I, and the reviews for this movie, by the way, everyone's like, wow, it's so groundbreaking and so sex positive And so like polyamory and, and multiple partners and, no, 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 no. It, it was not because any time that any of the characters, which by the way, everybody was fucking everybody. It, everyone was cheating on everybody. But then if one of the characters found out that the other character was like sleeping with this person or that person, they flipped the fuck out and they would like be so jealous and angry. And it's like, this is not what polyamory is. This is not, um, this is not what sex positive is. There's so much shaming going on. And then they, at the end of the movie, all of the women are called whores by uh, Lee Grant's husband. And they're like, oh, they're all whores. They're all whores. It's like, um, you're a fucking whore. You're sleeping with everybody too. Like this movie really bothered me. I, I, I hated this movie. I hated this movie. Sure. That's yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, uh, a, a bit of an old school farce in the, in the sort of traditional sense of like, you know, it sets up this, very sort of convoluted web of, of relationships at the end where uh, at the beginning where, um, you know, he's, uh, Warren Beatty's dating Goldie Hawn, but he's having an affair with Lee Grant and, and she's married to Jack Warden and he's having an affair with Julie Christie and Julie Christie is Warren Beatty's ex. And so it's just this very complicated like set of dominoes. And then in the second half, you see all the dominoes kind of uh, falling down um so it is like yeah it's 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 definitely a lot and uh, and a lot you know the 
a big part of the appeal was just, isn't it crazy that, uh, that we're, we're seeing, you know, a ladies man who's a hairdresser. Yeah. 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 And it was, this was really Warren Beatty's baby is that's, that's kind of the vibe I get is he he produced it. He kind of spearheaded this thing, which I don't know why he, he you know, I, I <laughs> why he would want to make a movie about how everyone in Los Angeles wants to fuck him. I don't know where that idea came from. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the script is uh, Robert town kind of wrote this and they have co-screen writing credit, but I, I think it feels like Robert town did most of the heavy lifting. Uh, he also wrote mm-hmm. Chinatown. He's one of the great sort of screenwriters of the seventies. Uh, I've this never one, seen I that movie. I want to. It's great. It's really great. This, I think, is sort of a a lesser uh, work of his. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I totally get where you're coming from. I think there are a lot of funny performances and and funny moments that really kind of uh, elevate it. Uh, I think also what a lot of people were responding to is the kind of political satire of it. The, the fact that it's set on um, the day of the the Nixon uh, election in '68. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of like really ties the whole thing together and, and creates this framework of like, uh, you know, the, the sort of free love, uh, some, you know, spirit of the sixties is coming to an end. And now this kind of new era of, of repression, and, uh, is starting. And that kind of mirrors Warren Beatty's journey a little bit of the, this kind of, you know, rakish playboy guy who's who has to grow up and, and stop fucking everybody. Um, so I, I think that the sort of satirical, love that. Really stop, like you stop it, you stop <laughs> it right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Lee Grant is, uh, I, I think she, yeah, very strong, uh, supporting performance. Again, she does a lot with a little, which is true of most of these, mm-hmm. these actresses. Um, incidentally, she's still alive. She's in her nineties. Um, she's on Instagram. Oh, we and, love that. Uh, and yeah, she, I, I didn't even realize going into this, but she's been in like so many, uh, incredible movies that I love. Uh, the ones that you mentioned, of course, she's in the heat of the night, uh, defending your life, Mulholland drive. Uh, mm-hmm. she was also incidentally in Valley of the dolls with, uh, written by Jacqueline Suzanne, who we talked about earlier, <laughs> our friend right. Jacqueline Suzanne. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, she is, uh, she has, uh, a very sad scene at, at the end. I don't know if you remember this scene where, um, uh, Carrie Fisher plays her daughter. Mm hmm. And, oh, I'm uh, actually just before you continue, I will say because this was Carrie Fisher's screen debut, mm-hmm. um, where she said the word "faggot" like ten thousand times. Debbie Reynolds, her mom, was not pleased with this <laughs> that she was in this movie, and she was so upset with the sexual frankness of the role. Continue. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's very like uh, it, it's a little upsetting that he, you know he Warren Beatty um, goes to visit Lee Grant and she's not home, but. Carrie Fisher, her daughter is, and she kind of, Carrie Fisher starts making the moves on him. And it's, it's suggested, we don't see it explicitly, but it's suggested that they have sex. And then Lee Grant Mm -hmm. finds out about it. And instead of being, you know, appalled by this, she kind of like, she, that makes her want him more almost the fact that he's Mm -hmm. just been with her daughter and she she kind of like forces herself on him. It's a really Mm -hmm. like, you know, putting aside the the issue of like would is such a thing realistic or not like it is really tough to watch that she's so kind of so much of her sense of self-worth is wrapped up in her relationship with this guy that it's I think that to me is like the the sort of oscar scene that scene where she's like it doesn't matter just like let's let's have sex like it's it's whew, it gave I mean, me chills i mean i'm okay how do i I mean, like, okay, so it's like, 
if I don't know if I got that myself because uh, like, okay. When she at the very beginning, right out the gate was like, um, you, like you don't see her, but you can hear her like, like having an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the opening scene of, of the movie. And then you see it's, it's, it's Lee Grant that's in the bed. Um, that is, and I don't use this word very often, what I would describe as brave. And what I mean by that is it, could you imagine having to act something like that out? Like that, in my opinion, I would be so embarrassed. A I would never scene? be, oh God, I could never do that. And just, she was so vocal and it was very realistic and very like in the moment and stuff like that. And I, I appreciate that she, she went there. I thought she had some funny moments. I loved what, remember whenever she finds out about um, uh, Julie Christie because her husband's having an affair with Julie Christie and, and they're at the bar and it reminded me of that scene from American Hustle whenever Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams see each other and they're like, Wah! and they hate each other, you know, and, uh, and, and then Lee Grant is so angry and then she gets into her car and she nearly runs over her husband and then she flips him off and she drives off. I thought that that made me laugh out loud. I thought, I just thought that that was really, really funny. I think Lee Grant for me in this film had some moments, but I, I think I preferred Goldie Hawn in this movie. I love Goldie Hawn. And I thought that Mm -hmm. she was, I thought she was really, really great in this movie where she kind of has this female sexuality that she owns, but it's not part of the narrative and it's not part of her character. It's just sort of like, it just is what it is, but she is um, a layered person. And she, I don't know. I just kind of felt like Lee Grant just kind of kept like showing up and being like, are we going to fuck now? And then she'd be like, Hey, are you fucking this person? Like, Oh, I'm angry that you're fucking this person. Let me demonstrate that. Or fuck you. Like I just, she just didn't do it for me in this movie. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I, sure. I hated this movie. I truly hated this movie. Yeah, totally fair. I uh, yeah, I agree that it's it's a it's a weird uh, there's it's a weird tonal mishmash for sure. There's certainly aspects of it that I like. I think uh, Julie Christie really did it for me. She is one of my favorites. She she went above and beyond and is really memorable in this. Um, well, she grabs his dick in one scene, and I was like, oh god, this mm-hmm. poor girl. Yeah, they did a bunch of movies together. I think, like, I yeah, they were dating at the time, and then I, I guess they're, when they broke up, it was sort of amicable, amicable because they they did um, yeah a bunch of movies in the seventies. Because she was in um, uh, Heaven Can Wait as well, and yeah. David Mrs. Yep. Miller. Yeah, no, that's right. One of the great seventies um, on-screen duos. I um oh I didn't know this, but. Um... <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody knows this, but I did not know this. Um, I didn't know that Shirley MacLaine and Warren Beatty were siblings. I did. I know that. Maybe I didn't know that. That's interesting. I, well, I remember I was watching some like Academy. I think it was for, I think it was for Sally Field winning for Norma Ray, and she's this is during the telecast or whatever, and she goes, you know, I just want to say that like I'm really proud of my brother, and I was like brother I'm like, who the fuck is your brother and i did no research but now i'm like oh he must have won something and that's why she was saying that uh, anyway <laughs> anyway um okay so i think unless there's anything else that you would like to add nope all good okay so let's go ahead and pick um who we think that the oscar should have gone to you are my guest so you will go first mm-hmm. uh, i think uh, the oscar should have gone to
Lily Tomlin. I thought she was so good uh, in Nashville. Oh. I, I may be biased because I, I just love her, her work generally. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think she she has, you know, uh, not that many scenes and she really makes a huge impact with everyone. And, and she, mm-hmm. crea- she creates this really fully realized character uh, and, and brings a very sort of like, she, I feel like she anchors the movie in, in a way where there's so many wild, you know, mm-hmm. show business personalities in this movie. And then she is kind of this normal sort of grounding presence that we can really connect to. And uh, everything kind of swirls around her, all this craziness. But she, uh, yeah, I think she uh, is really, really great and very funny and has a lot of great scenes. I love that. Oh, my God. Great. Because that's really funny because I was like, how is she nominated? Uh, <laughs> I love that. That's great. Uh, Okay, so um, I think the Oscar should have gone to... Brenda Vaccaro for Once Is Not Enough. Um, She was... To me, it she just... She seems so familiar to me. She was like this sort of modern female character who was not only like uh, very successful in her work life except at the end whenever she gets fired but it was just sort of funny because even when she did get fired um, from her boss after he slept with her she like is angry at him and she's standing up for herself and she's calling him out and she's just kind of like doesn't take any shit from anybody and she owns her sexuality and um she in this awful movie uh slash hilarious movie was kind of like the only watchable part the only believable part the only real part and I, I really, really loved her. She won the Golden Globe. I think that she was expecting to win this Oscar. And personally, I think that it should have gone to her. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, this concludes another episode of Best Actress. Uh, Dan, where can people find you on social media? Uh, at Dan Dillabow on, uh, on on the normal ones, the Twitter, the Instagram. <laughs> I will None of the weird ones. Discussion. Normal ones only. Only one, only, only. Great. Okay. So uh, if you like this show, please subscribe. Uh, Tell the gays. I know it's mostly gay people that listen to this, which I love. Uh, Hi, boys. And uh, subscribe. Uh, Leave a review for us on on iTunes. I would appreciate that. And uh, I guess, Dan, thank you so much again for being a guest. We'll definitely have you back again. And uh, stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.